Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. I'm David Lee and in this series we're discussing the future of the workplace. The world of work has undergone enormous changes in recent years with the fast pace of technological change and increasing focus on employees' mental health and well-being and the rise of flexible working. These issues and many others came under a fierce spotlight when the lockdown of March 2020 ushered in a period of unprecedented change to the way we all worked. So what has been the impact of these changes, particularly on those people working alone? Those who worked alone before the pandemic due to the nature of their jobs and those who had lone working thrust upon them. I'm joined for this discussion by Victoria Anderson, Senior Associate at Brodie's, who heads up the firm's health and safety offering, and by Kate Donachie, Managing Associate at Brodie's. OK, so uh, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Kate and Victoria. Um, Victoria, first of all, what do we mean by loan working and what sort of professions are we talking about? Loan working is a relatively straightforward concept. It kind of says exactly what it um, indicates. Loan working is anybody who is working alone in a nutshell. Um, I suppose the more legal definition is somebody who cannot be directly monitored or supervised during the course of their work. So that might be somebody who's working remotely away from the usual place of work um, or somebody who by nature of their job will be alone. And that includes people like lorry drivers, for example, um, cleaners, security staff, Petrol station workers are quite often alone. Um, and also, of course, post-pandemic, uh, people who are working from home, whether that's permanently or from time to time. OK. Um, and I guess we've got other professions. We've got care workers going into people's homes. We've got agricultural workers. It's a massive range, isn't it? So, so Kate, at the moment, what does the law do? How does the law provide for the challenges faced by this wide range of loan workers? I think the law probably provides adequately for the challenges and, and there, there is guidance there. I think I, I think the range of professions and the range of activities that Victoria has pointed out really are the issue because people might tend to see loan working as a kind of freestanding or standalone issue, whereas actually it's kind of woven into every job. Um, and so you could risk some issues for someone working from home at a computer um, where they might otherwise have worked in an office compared to someone who, as you said, is going into people's homes as a carer are really quite different. And so I think maybe the first thing for people to recognise is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all. You can't just go to a loan working risk assessment, take it off and you've, you've covered off the risks adequately. It needs to be an individual approach for the activities that people are carrying out in their work. OK, and then, Victoria, is it important if you do have an organisation that employs loan workers to actually to check in on your policies and procedures and your risk assessments and, and not just write something out and stick it in a stick it in a dusty drawer? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just picking up on what Kate said there, it's about it's about each business looking at what they do. Um, understanding your own business, which maybe seems like an overly simplistic thing to say, but um, really, really thinking about different people in your organisation, what their individual task may be, um, and also making sure that as your business grows and develops, whether that's a change in business activity, whether that's just the business growing in size or branching out into new lines of work, do your policies, have they been reviewed annually? Um, 
have they been regularly updated to cover anything new that might have come into one particular area of the business where you do have loan workers? So, for example, the pandemic's a good example of that. But I think as time progresses, we will see other examples. So as we become more used to the use of technology in different business sectors, the automation of certain processes, this is, I suppose, depending on which side of the fence you sit on, a good thing or a bad thing. And it can, in certain situations, reduce the number of workers doing a particular job. So you might find that originally you didn't have a loan working scenario, but as you've brought in other ways of doing the job or greater technology, you actually now do have a loan working scenario, which you might have missed. So it's always really important that you're taking time to review your policies and procedures on a regular basis to make sure that you've you've covered all, all eventualities. Okay, and when we talk about loan work in Victoria, obviously there is the issue potentially of loneliness and 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 working on your own might be for some might be more challenging for others. So, what are the kind of uh, mental health and well being considerations around loan workers? I think it's very important nowadays. We're seeing, particularly in the health and safety sphere less of a focus on safety, more of a focus on health. And mental health is a huge part of that. So what um, companies are being encouraged to do as part of ensuring their workers' mental health is to make sure they've got a system in place that allows people who are working alone to have a check-in system, some means of direct contact with a supervisor or a colleague. Other industries where uh, Kate and I are seeing this being rolled out are industries such as forestry, where they have a sort of buddy system, um, because not everybody wants to maybe speak to a supervisor about how they're doing and how they're feeling, and it, it might not improve everybody's day to have to constantly speak to their supervisor. Um, but you know, having somebody, a point of contact who you can regularly speak to is is very important. And that um, is something which, if you have loan workers, should be considered uh, if possible. OK. And, and Kate, what about some of those practical considerations around loan working in terms of what employers need to think about in terms of the support that is offered, but also the kind of equipment and the kit that they need to do their job effectively. And again, I'm guessing that's very different in those traditional loan working areas that we've talked about, some of them, and the idea of uh, people moving to remote working as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, there are. I mean, there are as many, many different variables as there are jobs. I think the, if you wanted to put things into sort of key key kinds of risk you've got the first kind which is where someone's at risk of harm physical harm mostly because the task they're doing is dangerous when you do it with just one person so something like cutting down a tree with a chainsaw you can envisage will be much more dangerous if someone's trying to do that on their own than if you give them another person to do it with Um, you've got other risks that arise from what happens if something goes wrong and someone's on their own so someone's doing something which in itself is perfectly safe there may be you know, bringing um, animals in from the field, but what happens if they fall off their quad bike and they're on their own and they've not actually spoken to anyone for days? It might take days before anyone realises something's gone amiss. Um, and if you're talking about geographically remote working, so someone that is in an area of the country that's far from main roads or communication networks, how do you how do you alert um, people that you're in danger and how do those people get help to you? So those are kind of the physical risks and the ways they might arise as a generality. And then you have the point um, that Victoria has just touched on, 
which is people's mental well-being and recognizing that where you're working on your own that can that can create challenges for how you feel you've got loneliness and isolation and just other things we know that stress at work one of the major triggers for that is not feeling secure in your position not understanding how you fit into an organization and feeling insecure about your role and and what it means for you in the future and you can understand that all of that is likely to be accentuated when you're working in your own space and you're not exposed to others in the workplace and you don't have a good visibility um, on what's happening. So I think those are the three broad categories of risk that would come under um, loan working considerations, but the, the detail of that is going to be just as variable as, as the work that people do. Okay, and let's just talk a bit, Kate, about the the impact of the pandemic and all those workers who were working um, at home on their own when they didn't expect to be. Um, How do you think organisations broadly responded in terms of making sure that there was a a working environment that was okay, that was suitable, and making sure that people had the right technology, the right equipment at home? Uh, How do you think, what, how would you characterise that general response going back a couple of years? I think I'm back to using the word we've maybe overused here already, which is varied. Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, it was an emergency response in the first place. So people were just scrabbling to get back and to, to keep the business running, um, despite the fact that offices and workplaces were closed. I think HSE was quite clear from the beginning of the pandemic that the, the duties and employers hadn't lessened. They weren't going to be more lenient. But equally, um, I think that people's approach to risk assessing home working did become more lenient and more laid back. Um, and, and here we find ourselves two years later and actually that more could have been done and more care could have been taken in the interim and it, it's kind of maybe slid under the radar. So I think that probably organisations now recognising that this way of at least hybrid working is probably here to stay needs to be um, more organised about how they are assessing the risk to their employees and how they manage them. So is that providing them with better office equipment at home or bringing them into the office more often? And as Victoria said, how do we ensure that people who are away from us um, are actually okay? Um, and and what, what systems can we put in place for that? So I think probably the pandemic has made people maybe naive or ignorant of the risks that this kind of way of working has thrown up. So we probably do need a bit of a stock take now, I think, as we hopefully move out of the most acute phase of the pandemic. And and Victoria, what would you say has characterised generally sort of good practice? Which employers have kind of, you know, the ones that have raised their game, what's kind of characterised good practice, would you say? (laughs) For a second there, David, I thought you were asking me to name and shame. Um, I think the best practice has been... um, Employers who have stayed up to date with guidance issued by the HSE, that's hugely important across all aspects of health and safety, regardless of your business sector. Um, And we did see initially the HSE saying, well, if you've got people working from home, that's temporary just now due to the pandemic. But given now that we're at the two, almost at the two year stage, I think it's very safe to say that we all fall within the slightly... uh, undefined term that HSE use of longer term remote workers and that means that there are active duties on employers so you have to now carry out what's called digital screen equipment testing so making sure that your workers have a suitable workstation in the home like Kate said you know making sure they've got the right equipment for them whether that's supportive chairs or 
double screens, whatever the case may be. Um, and I think changing the way, acknowledging and the, the, the change and changing attitudes towards how we treat people who are working from home has been really important for employers. So, so recognising that people might have an, you know, the doorbell going in the background in the middle of a meeting. Um, I think we've all become quite used to, to seeing that, people having to nip away and and being a little bit more relaxed about their expectations on people, not putting too much pressure on people because it can be very difficult um, to draw the line between work and home life when you are working from home. Certainly, I think, you know, we've all found that to uh, certain points over the pandemic. Okay, and and Kate, we've talked. You've talked a bit earlier about the considerations around kind of mental health, around physical environment, around equipment, and so on. What are the main risks? Would you say uh, for employers who who maybe don't take those considerations into full account? What risks do they need to consider? Well, I mean, I suppose the risk for employers is that you don't ensure the health and safety of your employees and or those around them, and someone's hurt, um, and then you might face prosecution and a, a criminal um, prosecution or a, a, a civil claim for damages. Um, but the risks are that someone's harmed because you haven't done what you needed to do. And that could be physically harmed or their mental health could be harmed um, because you haven't recognised a risk, you haven't assessed it properly and you haven't taken steps um, to manage it. Um, and so I suppose employers need to recognise that something which might be perfectly safe in an office might have different risks if it's done from home. So taking the working at home example, the loneliness and isolation probably isn't going to be an issue for someone in an office. It becomes a risk when they move to working at home. And so it's recognising that being alone creates new risks in terms of equipment. It might Equipment might be perfectly adequate for a two-man team. You might need something different for a one-man team. You might also need different systems. So notifying people um, about... Um, what they do if they get into danger? Do you have the communication set up for that to happen? So I think the risk is possibly, and and as like Tori was alluding to, you you move from one way of working to another without realising you've done it, and you are actually you're ignorant of the risks that that has that that has created. Um, and so it is just, and again, as Victoria said, keeping an eye on your business and 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 knowing that you understand what your business is doing, um, because you need to know what your business is doing to assess the risks that that activity creates so it is just keeping an eye on that I think is a key thing okay and I guess we're at too early a stage to to realize whether there's going to be a lot of cases coming out of loan working as a result of the pandemic but looking at those more traditional loan working environments Victoria one or two examples of court cases that have that have highlighted the the real issues around loan working yeah i uh, this has actually been really interesting because I think what has happened is that the pandemic has brought loan working really into focus, both for business, but also the regulators. And um, I have to say, I mean, I've been a health and safety specialist lawyer for a fair few years now, um, and I can't recall seeing other cases which so directly linked to the issues of loan working. But there have been two recent um, decisions in the courts in Scotland. The first related to a gentleman who died in the course of his employment on the construction of a wind farm in East Ayrshire. Now, um, there was a reasonable amount of press coverage around the, the reporting of that case. And what that 
highlighted was the importance to have a means of communication. So things that Kate's already touched on about the geographical remoteness, but also the impact that that might have on mobile phone signal. Um, you know, particularly for people in the renewable section sector is a huge sector and it's ever increasing in Scotland at the moment. So businesses really do need to be thinking, are our staff working in an area where if something goes wrong and they're by themselves, they are capable of contacting us and letting us know about that. Um, and that's where things like satellite phones come into play. Now, that might be an added expense, but it's something which cases like um, the gentleman at the wind farm have really highlighted. What happened there was that he was um, effectively a security guard on the site and he had inadequate provisions in terms of a welfare hut that was heated, um, phone communication out to and in uh, so that people could notify him that there was poor weather approaching. And also so that he could contact his employers and say, look, you know, I'm not comfortable with the current scenario and I, I would really like to come off site. So I think things like that, weather is a, always a very live issue in Scotland. Um, and it's perhaps something that we're so used to anticipating that we don't actually actively consider it in a work scenario. And it's a very, very real risk or it can create very real risks quite quickly if things suddenly change. Um, in that case, the fines handed down were £900,000 in total. Um, so that we're seeing that the regulator is recognising these breaches, is taking them very seriously and is willing to go the whole hog and prosecute um, in cases where that is deemed appropriate. Um Okay, before before you come on to the next uh, the next case, Victoria, um, just to give you a bit of a breather as well, um, you're talking there about the weather. Obviously, over the last winter, we've seen a hell of a lot of really powerful storms that have had a big impact on the rural sector, bringing trees down and so on. Um, and you know what kind of considerations are there for employers there in that extreme weather, where they do have a number of people who are working uh, alone. We would always recommend that in those types of business sector that you have an adverse weather policy, um, that you sit down and you consider what are the the boundaries of acceptable and unacceptable. You need to consider if you've got a way of notifying your workers either before they go out to a, to a remote area or once they are out there to tell them that either weather forecasts have been received, that might be a weather warning as well. So you need to have a supervisor who's got a means of being able to actively check these things and then convey that information to the staff. Um, there also has to be the, I suppose, a level of autonomy within the supervising staff and or the guys on the ground themselves need to feel comfortable to say, I no longer feel safe or this looks like it's getting a little bit risky. We're calling it a day. Um, and the flip side of that is the staff need to be trained and understand what those situations are, what they might look like, and also reminded that they need to feed back to their employers that that's the action that they've taken. If they have come off site, if they have gone home for the day, the employer needs to know that because you don't want to start a panic in people not being easily located uh, if they've logged off the systems for the day. And we see quite a lot of um, utilities companies, for example, have systems in play whereby um, they use technology to their advantage in that case. So they might um, have a system whereby the, the the personal devices, whether it's mobile phones or 
um, little tablets that the staff have are linked into the, the business's system so that that's constantly pinging a location marker to the employer. Um, messages can be conveyed using that system. Sometimes, obviously, depending on the size and scale of your business, that's not going to be proportionate or practicable for every business. So it might be something as simple as downloading an app. Um, there, There is an app, which I, I don't know if we can say the name of it, but um, the What Three Words app um, that allows anybody with a, a GPS signal. I don't think you need 4G. Um, if you open that app, the whole grid of the world has been uh, plotted to within, I think it's three square metres. And there are three unique words ascribed to every single one of those squares. And so we see companies, um, particularly in the forestry and agricultural area uh, sectors, using that app to identify where a meeting point might be. Um, and it becomes second nature. And once you know uh, staff have the means of doing that, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it, it, it can save lives. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot of big, a lot of big issues around communication there, and that kind of sharing of information, and just ensuring there is that kind of two way street between employer and employee. Um, so, what about that that second court case, Victoria? I think that relates more to the care sector. Is that right? It does, yeah. And this this was a particularly interesting one when I I read about it. So it's a case of a, um, a mobile care worker. So care in the community workers will. Probably many of us will have seen um, nurses going into the homes of patients to provide care services. Now, often those nurses work in pairs, but sometimes, understandably, they work alone. And in this particular case, a nurse uh, was attacked um, in the home of a male patient. Um, she was physically assaulted and sexually assaulted. Um as a result of that, the gentleman involved, the patient, was prosecuted for what he did to the nurse. Um, and off the back of that prosecution, the procurator fiscal actually contacted the health and safety executive to say, we think you should be looking at this from, from the, the safety at work angle as well. And the HSE then carried out an investigation which resulted in prosecution of the employing company of the nurse as well, because the employers had failed to take adequate steps to ensure the safety of the nurse or all of their nurses whilst they were going into certain homes. And I, it really stood out to me when I read it because for two reasons. The first was, I don't think it's something that we um, in the health and safety lawyers sector, we would, don't often come across um, issues of health and safety in that type of scenario. So it was an absolutely terrible case to read about. But also what was really interesting was it was the action of the procurator fiscal notifying the HSE, which in the legal setting, sorry, this is a boring legal fact, but it's it's a kind of a flip on the relationship there. Because what we tend to see is the HSE notify the procurator fiscal of issues, not always the other way around. So it was really interesting that off the back of that case in the prosecution, the, the procurator fiscal thought, no, that this needs to be looked at on a, on a wider scale. So I think there's a lot of um, of learning outcomes that can be taken from employers off that case, because I think it, it highlights that all sectors can be affected by loan working risks, um, even if it's not something we automatically consider. OK, so they are quite two quite different cases that you've highlighted. But what do you, th do you think there are any broad lessons there for employers about loan working 
and is is one of them that they do need to keep looking at their policies and procedures and making sure that they are up to date as we touched on earlier yeah definitely i mean there there is a general duty under the the wide health and safety law that a business is reviewing its risk assessments um regularly so that's tended to be or that's taken to mean either on an annual basis or when there is a significant event that affects the risk assessment so if you have an accident in the workplace that relates to loan working you need to go back and review your policy and say okay could we have done better is have we missed something here um, and that's very important because the whole premise of health and safety is about continuous improvement um, and it is it can be a bit onerous and, and people feel sometimes that it's too much but it, it it's really important we have to learn from all the circumstances and all the cases that we have out there and strive to continue to improve um, because at the end of the day we all want to protect those that we we work with okay and and Kate to kind of wrap up sort of leading on from what Victoria just said what are those key pieces of advice that you would give to employers in this field when dealing with loan workers yeah, I think um, just go back to where we started, which is no one size will fit all. And you need to assess the risks individually um, for each role or activity that's being carried out by the business. Um, I think it really needs to be tailored to what that person or, or group of people are doing. Um, and I think the, the second point is just to recognise, as I said, that, that working alone creates different risks. So, you know, something that might not might not be a risk when you're working in a group becomes a risk when someone's working alone. So it's just recognising that that change of working practice can, can throw up risks. And as Victoria has just said, making sure you're on top of your policies and your risk assessments so that that change um, is caught. Um, and also just as part of that, that, you know, loan working might need new systems for supervision or support. It might need new equipment, as Victoria said, things like satellite phones or other ways of digital tracking. Um, so that people can, can check in, but also so that people can be um, keeping an eye on where employees are and if something seems to have gone wrong. Um, and I think the final point really is you have to prepare for the worst. Um, so those two cases that Victoria mentioned are situations where in the first place the weather became really bad. You know, yes, you know that's not an everyday occurrence, but it's not unforeseeable. We know, as Victoria said, we get bad weather in Scotland and it can be um, quite extreme in terms of its impact on people who are out in it. Um, and, the, and the second case where a, a person behaves um, illegally or does something um, terrible to another person, again, it's not an everyday occurrence, but it is foreseeable. And so it's making sure that your risk assessments are not a sort of best case scenario for what might happen in a working day, that you are looking at, well, what could go wrong here? And actually, are we protecting people um, for those um, worst case scenarios in their daily working life. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much to Kate and to Victoria. Thank you. You've been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and other experts share their enlightened thinking about issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the UK. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to Podcasts by Brodies on all your main podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com.